Welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Joe, thanks for having me. You are so welcome. You know, one of my favorite things about doing uh, the podcast, which is sad to me, this is one of my favorite things, is uh, you have to sign in to, to get in to our, our podcast, right? You have to actually right. put like a name so that it'll do it. And every week you come up with a, a different name. And this week you are Dan Quinn. Which That's I find right. very enjoyable. Last week, I think you were Bill Belichick, um, which, you know, was better, I think, at this moment than being Dan Quinn. <laughs> Am I right? I mean, it's probably I a better say, thing. Yeah, you'd, most, you'd rather be Belichick right now than Quinn, yeah. <laughs> than Dan Quinn, so. But by the way, right. that's not like, it wasn't, that wasn't just like, uh, that wasn't stupid fan trolling. That was, uh, I was, I've been thinking about Dan Quinn a lot because I think he's a great coach. He is a great and, coach. And I and I I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who's a Falcons fan, and I was praising Dan Quinn. And then, but then as I was praising Dan Quinn, I did have the feeling of like you must be losing your mind if you're Dan Quinn because you were the <laughs> defensive coordinator when Brady brought the pass back from ten down in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl and won. And then you moved to a different team, did an amazing job, took the team all the way to the Super Bowl, had a twenty-five point lead over the same coach and quarterback and lost that game too like that i hope that dan quinn wins the super bowl i hope that like because i hate that i hate any narrative in sports which is and i think we've talked about this before of like the best blank to never win a championship yes, I, hate, yes. I hate it it's yeah. so annoying it's like sergio garcia now has that t- after phil mickelson had it for a long time in golf and now it's sergio in golf and and there's oh there's dan marino and there's charles barkley or whatever and I hate, I just hate that. It's like it, it, championships are team dependent and individual players are individual players. And I hate whoever the, I hate the narrative that there's a person who's the best at what he or she does who never wins a championship. That always seems so backwards to me. I agree. But right now you would, you would have to say Dan Quinn is one of the best coaches to never win a Super Bowl, right? <laughs> Let's, we might as well use that narrative that we hate yeah. uh, right here. No, I, the thing I... <laughs> The thing I feel about for Dan Quinn, Dan, Dan Quinn is a great coach. Uh, I think Dan Quinn, and and maybe, you know, I, I have this, this theory, and I've written about this theory before, that you are inherently, when it comes to football, you are inherently offensive-minded or defensive-minded. And that is, as a coach, as a fan, as a player, your mind tends to focus more on one than the other. Like, I'm an offensive-inclined person. I think about offense when football comes, I mean, I'm not, you know, I, I appreciate good defense or whatever, but I like offense. Offense is way more important to me. If I'm playing Stratomatic or something, I want to be the offensive coordinator. That's how I think. Dan Quinn is a defensive guy. The fact that his offenses have cost him two Super Bowls has to drive him insane. Yeah. Just has to drive him out. He, he probably hates offense even more now. <laughs> <laughs> He's Which will start, make him an even better defensive coach, I think. He's going to start, like, punting on second down, like, in every, <laughs> every drive. And just be like, if our defense is going to win this game. <laughs> oh, it's, it's you know, I don't even want to talk about the Super Bowl. All right, we're talking baseball. It is baseball season. I'm so yes. psyched. I'm so psyched. Uh, I, I've never, I haven't said this on the podcast yet, but I think you've heard this. I, I, have, a, I have a new job. Uh, I am I am national columnist for MLB.com and yes. and a contributor for MLB Network, which is very exciting. I'm very 
Uh, thankful, uh, thankful to NBC also for all the time there. I was, I loved it. Uh, but baseball is is me. I love baseball as do you. So I am mm-hmm. so psyched. Baseball season, we're here. Baseball season. Oh, it's great. So we're gonna it's talk. The best, this is the best time. Well, I was about to say this is the best time of the year. It's not. The best time of the year is when opening day happens, and yes. specifically, the actual best time of the year is. Whatever the first game is after the annoying one-day break that MLB makes all the teams take take after they play their first game, which is which literally drives me crazy. Like baseball starts and then they immediately press pause on your team. It's the worst. But this is the second best time of the year because it's when you can legitimately say that it is becoming baseball season. It is becoming baseball season, and I want to say this, and 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 you didn't know I was going to say this, but I'm going to say this. Uh, If you pick up. Baseball Prospectus, which you should anyway. It is fantastic. Uh, preview of the season, all kinds of stats, essays, everything. Beautiful. It's it's one of my favorite things on earth. Is Baseball Prospectus? Yeah. Uh, I've edited. I've I've actually per- written the the preview. You know, to it. Anyway, there is a an essay by this guy I've heard of uh, named Michael Shore about the Boston uh-huh. Red Sox uh, and his son. And I'm not going to say any more. I just want to say it's fantastic. And reason alone, not that you need one reason, because there's like <laughs> a thousand reasons to get baseball perspectives, and they don't pay it, me to say that. Um, but they're fantastic, and and I love that essay. I just want to tell you that. I, I thank I, you. Yeah, it was super fun. Kind of you say, yes, they asked me to to do the every uh, team has a. If you've never read the baseball prospectus annual, which by the way, what are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your life? <laughs> <laughs> but they asked me every every team has a sort of introductory essay and they're really uh it's they're really cool because they sort of don't give you any direction it's sort of just like write about this team it doesn't have to be about like here's what you can expect in the 2017 right. uh, Milwaukee Brewers it's just what it, it's just they get people who are fans of the teams to just write a sort of introductory essay and so I wrote one for the Red Sox which is truly a great honor like to contribute to that book in any way it's like it is my favorite book. It it has officially long ago. It took the place of the baseball encyclopedia. When I was right. a kid, or when you were a kid, the thing that you asked for for Christmas or your birthday or Hanukkah or whatever was the baseball encyclopedia. You now don't need that because there's you know baseballreference.com and there's a million sites where you can look up all the stats of all the players, and you don't need a fifty-eight thousand page book <laughs> that contains all that information. So baseball prospectus annual to me is now the thing that means the season is starting. And yes. so, I yes, I was, they were very kind and asked me to write the Red Sox team page, and it was really fun. It's great. It, it really is. And, and that is one of the things I love about it. I mean, it, look, it's, it's obviously there's, there's a lot of great baseball thought in it. There's statistics, uh, prospects, which is great to look up prospects. But what I really like is that they don't have any rules for the essays. Like, for instance, I'm, I'll just say this really quickly. I didn't want to turn this into a baseball prospectus thing. Um, but the Arizona uh, Diamondbacks essay is not about the Arizona Diamondbacks. It's about this new style of hitting that people in baseball are doing, where there's it's much more like the old Ted Williams style, more up swing, fascinating, really, really interesting. Uh, yeah. Out of nowhere, you just go out of nowhere. Suddenly you're you think you're reading about like, oh, well, what are they going to tell me about Zach Greinke or whatever in the Diamondbacks? I don't think Zach Greinke's name is even mentioned in the preview. It's it's much more about hitting. So I love the way they do that. Uh, and I love your essay as well. So uh, thank you. There you go. 
they are talking about changing the game. You know this. There, there is a lot of talk about changing the game. Uh, the big news last week was that in the minor leagues, um, they are talking now about putting uh, a runner at second base to start extra innings to kind of quicken extra innings up since uh, a lot of people leave uh, before extra innings. So in the low minors, they're talking about starting an inning with a runner on second base. People have very, very strong feelings about it. Uh, Keith Olbermann said it is literally the worst idea in 140 years of baseball, which, <laughs> I mean, segregation, maybe? Yeah, I, I don't say, know. Maybe, I would say maybe. segregation is worse, and, yeah. And then putting a runner on second, right? It's like right after that. Um, but it, I wrote uh, a piece where I was trying to stay open-minded because, as you know, I am a traditionalist at heart, and and I don't, I don't really like a lot of change. Um, but I said, hey, let's see what this looks like, right? Because it is true that people do sort of flee baseball stadiums when when extra innings begin uh so maybe this will be interesting oh and i just got killed people are like they hate it they hate it so we're going to talk about ideas that we have uh to change the game that I, I doubt it will include putting a runner at second base to start extra innings um but that's what we're talking about okay so here's what i'd like to do though and i didn't talk to you about this beforehand but i i this is the way i think we should do this I am going. I am also a, a, a pretty significant traditionalist when it comes to most things. Sure. So I am. Here's what we're going to do. I am going to take the position that baseball is fine. That baseball is perfect. <laughs> is exactly the way it should be. There should be no changes. You are going to pitch ideas for how to change the game and see if you can conv- talk me into them. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to try I'm a, to talk you into I'm a crouchy old. Yes, I'm a grouchy old, seventy-eight uh, year old uh, old timer. Who who hates newfangled things, and uh, and thinks that baseball is perfect, and you're gonna be the young whippersnapper who tries to convince me of some rule changes that you think would help. Okay, let me let me do that, but but let's just to make sure that you're in the spirit. Let me ask you very simply: uh, mm-hmm. Jack Morris, a Hall of Famer? The fact that you even have to ask me that is <laughs> is embarrassing for you. He won Game 7 of the World Series with a 10-inning complete game. He has the heart of a champion. He is the guy you wanted on the mound when it counted. He was a competitor. He was first and foremost a competitor. And anybody who throws a 10-inning complete game in Game 7 of World Series, a clinch of World Series victory, should be in the Hall of Fame. You are in character. I love it. I got, All right, we are, I got out of breath. It. I was so I, revved up. That about was. That. You were fully in character. By the way, I just did, uh, as part of my new gig at MLB Network, I just did a roundtable with Jack Morris, who could not have been more delightful. Just, just super fun guy to be around, uh, especially because he is Jack Morris literally every minute of every day. In other <laughs> words, not just his name is Jack Morris. Anything that you would expect Jack Morris to say he will say like that right. is like like you know who Jack Morris is all the time. He's not gonna ever like say you know I'm kind of interested in this fielding independent pitching. He's never gonna do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's never gonna happen with Jack. He didn't Love talk a lot about the... weighted on base average or anything like that. <laughs> he really lots of like not super happy with the with the this newfangled thing called the uh, speedometer thing that sure. measures speeds of, of pitches. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, but a lovely man. All right, so let me let me pitch some ideas. Obviously, let me throw the first one right at you because it's out there. We just talked about it. Man on second base to start extra innings. The idea being uh, 
Extra innings is a little bit of a time gone by. Now, we're talking about during the regular season, by the way. We're not talking about during the playoffs. We're talking during the regular season. The argument being uh, extra innings are kind of from a from a distant past. It's it, Everybody else has a much shorter way of ending games. Uh, people do leave the ballpark, although I did hear uh, from someone at Fox that ratings actually uh, spike in extra innings. So that's that's interesting. Um also tough on teams, you know, they've got to use up extra pitchers and all this sort of thing. Your thought on starting an inning, uh, the 10th inning with a runner on second base? It's complete garbage. It's a, <laughs> it is, uh, it, except for segregation, uh, it's maybe the worst idea. in. Ba- I, I mean, speaking totally honestly, not even in character as a grouchy old man, uh, <laughs> what is, to what end? I mean, if, like... If you t- if you look at it from a competition point of view, that the baseball is a, is a game that has no clock, and right. that's part of the point of it. And so you play the game until a team wins and closes out an inning with the lead. That's the that's the deal with the game, and that it's like what why why second first of all why not start them on first or third if you really want to, but like do you really think I mean you're giving the same advantage to both teams? There's like what what is. What to what to what end? I just don't understand this. You you've made the money that you need to make from the TV rating to <laughs> through nine innings, right? You've made and you you'll make more money if you get if you get to air more ads as the game goes along. Ratings go up. That's a bonus. And most a lot of people are you know are recording the games and speeding through them anyway. And you've paid, the people have paid that you can't sell more tickets at the end of the game. I just don't understand this. It's like you just I, I, to me the only potential advantage is you throw fewer pitches over the course of the season. You save some arms and you save some uh, some some mileage on your players. But is that is that really worth it? How many extra inning games does each team play a year? And how many of those extra inning games go past ten innings or maybe eleven? It's like too bad. There's some overtime games. <laughs> Soccer has overtime games, right? Football well, that's has not, overtime not the Premier games. League. Premier League does not have overtime games. They have they have ties. Yeah, fair fair enough. But they have <laughs> but like in any tournament they do and they yes, and they have extra time and like I don't know. I, I I just I legitimately think this is a really stupid idea. What do if, you think? No, well, I I kind of am on that too. I, my feeling on it was that that there is a to me a legitimate issue in that it is the only sport that I know of where people will leave not knowing who won the game. Like like a lot of people will leave uh, not knowing who won. And you, you won't see that in an NBA game or an NHL game, certainly not an NFL game. People are not going to walk out because it's overtime. Oh, you know, I've got places to be. But, you know, 162 games, I that's the only real sort of issue. Obviously, for me, I mean, I, games can go to 30 innings. I don't care. I mean, I want baseball. I love it. I love those 18-inning games where they make outfielders pitch. I mean, those are yeah. one of my favorites. I'm all for it. But this is – and this is where, like, each of these ideas I'm going to pitch to you – they're not really for me. I mean, I'm a baseball nut. Like, I I don't need any changes. I love baseball. Um, but I love baseball enough that I do want it to appeal to the next generation. I'm not saying this idea will necessarily appeal to a new generation. But if, if baseball feels like they are not really appealing, it's too slow-paced for, for, for kids, uh, it's too long for families, if they really feel that's true... Um, 
I don't want to just like say no to all ideas, you know? I mean, I'm not, I'm not, not saying that this one is, is great, um, but they do do it in international play. And I guess, by the way, it's, I, I should add, uh, I think it's kind of disastrous in international play because putting a runner on second means you bunt the first batter all right. the time, right? right? Which that's horrific. So I, I honestly, honestly, when I said, let's give this thing a shot, let's see what it looks like. I didn't really think about more bunts in the games. I so forget. I'm out. I mean, I'm totally out. Well, also, um, it is far from obvious to me that this will have any tangible effect on the average fan. Because I agree with you. Obviously, I feel the same way in terms of like I, I understand these any rules aren't really going to be for me. They're going to be for trying to appeal to younger, you know, less diehard fans. But. I, it's not obvious to me in any way that this would have that effect. Like, I think that some of the rules meant to speed up the average game, the average nine-inning game, are smart, and I am totally behind them. But is this really going to be a thing that matters to, like, to the casual fan? Like, I go to Dodger games all the time. People leave in the in the eighth. That's so true. it's like, it doesn't matter. It's like, you know, like the argument of, like, people have other places to be or people leave early. People leave early now. Like, it's... they. They beat the traffic. That's just the deal with baseball, and it's partly because every it's not it's it's ten times less special to see a baseball game than a football game. There's right. literally right. ten times as many games, so there's not a feeling. You don't leave football games early, even if your team's getting blown out. Usually, or some people do, but you've like it's a once a week event. It's for most people a once a, a season event. Usually, like you don't get. I mean, some obviously there's a lot of season ticket holders, but very frequently you're there. This is the game you're seeing if you're not a season right. ticket holder. Right. So I just it's like I don't know. I don't think that people are more likely to stay to the end of a game if they think it's going to be over soon after extra innings start. That doesn't if, make sense to me. Well, but would they if there was a home run derby at the end of games? I'll tell you this. I, I, I was going to bring this up later when the. When the All-Star game disastrously ended in a tie, when Bud Selig sort of threw up his hands and didn't know what to do, I was screaming at the TV and saying, home run derby, just pick each team. (laughs) Why not? It's a dumb exhibition game. Each team gets one, nominates one guy. They get 10 pitches. The guy who hits the most home runs out wins it for his side. How is that? That would have been so much better than a tie, don't you think? Oh, no question. No I mean, just have a, have a home run derby. Like, that. That if you really want to, like, to do something exciting, I'm, I'm dead serious. Have a home run derby. Like, have a home run derby after the 11th inning. I mean, it, it totally blows up the concept of, of, like, you know, real competition. But... At the same time, you know, again, in a in a uh, soccer tournament, is it that different from a shootout? Like, a, no. <laughs> just have, <laughs> have a home run derby. Stay after the if you really I've, if you want to protect the integrity of the game, uh, you won't do any of this stuff. But if you're right. going to impugn the integrity of the game, pass a rule that says after the 14th inning, it's a home run derby. It's 10 pitches for one guy from each team. 10 pitches, most home runs wins the game. I mean, to me, it's no less random than, uh, than starting, putting, starting a guy on second. Yeah. yeah. By the way, if you did that after the 11th inning, like literally, if you said, okay, look, two innings, try to win the game. After 11th, we're settling this thing with a home run derby. Nobody would leave. That that would right. be, because everybody would be like, we might see a home run derby. That would be <laughs> so awesome. 
Yeah. All right. All right. We've we've solved that problem. All right. You get back in character because we're going to talk the pitcher clock, which is obviously, I think, kind of on its way. I think it's coming. Uh, 22nd clock on the pitcher. Your thoughts? It's a terrible idea. Um, (laughs) And and it's terrible for reasons of uh, enforcement, which is to say you... Like the, the the rhythm of baseball in general is very slow and deliberate, and there's a lot of like kind of psychology that's at work at a, on a nearly constant basis. So you say, okay, you have 20 seconds between pitches, and then 15 seconds go by, and the pitcher realizes, remembers that the last time this guy was up, he threw him a, a two and two changeup, and the guy took it the other way and and doubled. And suddenly he's like, oh, I can't throw another changeup, but he steps off the rubber. And then what do you do? You throw him, you you dock him. You It's a, a ball, like as if he went to his mouth on the mound. Like, what is the enforcement? And then the, then the umpire has to come out. Maybe there's a situation where the umpire has to give you a warning first. So the umpire comes out and he gives you a warning. And then the pitcher looks in like, well, how can you do this to me? I don't understand. I just stepped off the rubber because my hand was sweaty and I needed rosin. And then the umpire jaws at the pitcher. Then the manager comes out, and then the umpire warns the manager. And suddenly, any time that you're gaining from this is going to go away. It just is like it's going to be the the it's going to be such a clumsy rollout in terms of how like what is do you even know when this has been discussed? What is the potential penalty for a pitcher who doesn't get the ball off in 20 seconds? I, I no, and and I'm gonna I'm not gonna sound like I know because I don't. Um, but having watched it, having seen a, a game of the pitchers, I believe that it is. There's a warning, um, and and I think the warning is if you're consistently. I mean, I don't think they're watching it literally with a buzzer or anything. There's a warning if you if you if you break the the pitcher's clock, and then I think it is like a ball if you if you uh, keep uh, doing that. And I don't know how many warnings there are. If there are any warnings. My understanding is there were. Let me tell you my experience with this because I I thoroughly uh, despise the idea of a pitcher's clock because I baseball is a game with no clock. That is sort of the whole essence of the game. And I wrote that. And I went to a game in Toledo, of all places, where they had the pitcher's clock going. Um, and I loved it. I was shocked how much I loved it. Not because really? of, well, and here's why. Not because of the pitcher's clock itself. I mean, I watched it for like a half inning and then forgot about it. What I loved about it was it it absolutely kept the game in motion. Everybody was aware of it. Nobody nobody got called. Nobody there was no. It, it never affected the game. Uh, I think most of the time the pitcher threw with six, seven, eight seconds left on the clock anyway. I mean, it wasn't, you know, I don't know exactly when they start the clock, but it's not until, like, everybody's ready. It's not, like, the second the previous pitch ends, I don't think. Maybe when he gets the ball, I'm not sure. Um, but it moved the game I in a way that was kind of jolting because you don't see it that much in the major leagues anymore. Major League Baseball, uh, at times, can feel like it's really slogging, like the... Everybody's stepping out and the pitcher's stepping off and everything's moving, throw to first and this and that and the other. Um, and and the clock sort of in a very, and they'd been playing with it for a while, so they obviously knew how to do it. But in, in a very subtle way, the clock kind of kept the game moving. And I have no idea if it saved any time 
but it set it felt more active. Which to me, if you're going to have a, an issue with the game uh, and pace of play, that to me is the issue. The issue is not how long the game is, but more like is it active? Are things moving along during the game? So I was shocked. I mean, I'm I I didn't like anything in baseball that they've changed. I didn't like the wild card. I didn't like interleague play. I didn't, I don't like change. I'm a total traditionalist. Um, but I really felt like the clock, it totally turned me around. I, I watched it and thought, Hey, this game is really feels like it's moving in a way that I can't remember watching recently baseball where it's like, Hey, the pitcher gets the ball. He, you know, 20 seconds is plenty of time. It's not like you're rushing the guy 20 seconds. He looks in, he gets his sign. He shakes him off. He doesn't shake him off and he pitches. I mean, it was, I liked it. I really did. Interesting. That's very interesting. I would be willing to experiment with it at the minor league level and then and see if it and it collect data and see ultimately if it really does shave meaningful time out of a game. Because I wonder how for how many people 20 seconds is longer than the average time it takes them to get a pitch off. Right, you know? probably not most. Probably, probably not. Probably yeah. that's about what it is. And it, it, the the question is, does it meaningfully impact the game in any way? If it did, and you're saying that in your live viewing experience it seemed to actually help, I'm willing to put aside my grouchy old man <laughs> hat, uh, which is a, an old derby hat. <laughs> it's, a, it's well worn, and it has a little press thing in the in the in the uh, ribbon. I would be willing to try it. I, I, that's what I'll say. I'd be willing to try it. All right. Now, there you go. It's just to get the old man. All right. Here, old man. What do you think about robo-umps? It's hard to stay in character as, as Grouchyold. <laughs> Especially because of how much you really want robo-umps. All right. Robo-umps, well, we're talking specifically, by the way, about um, the strike zone. Really is what we're focused on. Uh, maybe we're focused on other parts, but for me, the strike zone, having having a robot, uh, well, you know, having the, the various cameras, angles, and everything, either call the strike zone entirely or in in conjunction with the umpire. Um, so I know this is such a moment for you. Can you stay in character? All right, I'm going to stay in character. All right, here's why I don't <laughs> want robo-umps. Uh, I can actually make an argument against it. Here's my argument against it. If you, there was a thing, I believe, on the Baseball Perspectives website a couple of years ago about the worst call that was made on a pitch that should have been called a strike Okay. Uh, of the whole season. It was a pitch that, if you looked at pitch FX, where it hit the strike zone, it was the most middle-middle. And it was, a, I, I believe it was either a, a, a tailing fastball or a slider thrown by a left-hander that pierced the exact middle of the strike zone, <laughs> but ended up probably a foot and a half or two feet outside. Like the, ah. the catcher had to lean far to his left to catch the ball, uh, backhand the ball. Because of and the yes, because of the extreme movement of the pitch. And so the, no ump on the planet Earth would have ever called the ball a strike. And if he had called the ball a strike the batter would have argued so vehemently he would have been kicked out of the game. Right. And so the, the, the problem to me with robo-umps is that the way that physics works, 
there are pitches that are strikes that don't are in no way what a, any baseball fan or player would ever consider a strike. And obviously, in that instance, neither the catcher nor the pitcher would have even said, how dare you not call that pitch a strike? It was very right. obviously a ball. So the problem with robo-umps to me isn't the ball that is four inches outside that's called a strike or that hits the uh, that hits the top outside corner and is called a ball or something. The problem is those crazy pitches that are those crazy sliders or breaking pitches or something that that actually do hit the strike zone but end up so far outside that since youth baseball, no one has ever considered it a strike. So I don't know how you I don't know what you do in those situations. Like the strike zone is not it's the plate isn't a a plane a, a, or like a line rather. It's a plane and so it has three dimensions. And so there are balls coming from every angle that slice off little pieces of the strike zone and then end up in an essentially an unhittable location. So I really don't know it, you know I, I believe that pitch FX gauges the strike zone from the front from only from the front of the plate, right? I think. I can't remember. But I think that's, well, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I'm sure it has some way of getting the depth of the pitch. Yeah, I guess it must. But the the problem is, is that I don't know that RoboUmp totally solves the problem that we all have. And the problem we all have is the umpires watching 97-mile-an-hour pitches and 91-mile-an-hour sliders and deceptive movement change-ups whizzing through space in three dimensions in a live game under the pressure of the action. And we are sitting at home with our, with like a website <laughs> open watching a data point blip up on a screen. And it's very easy to, by the way, I do this constantly. I'm constantly taking screenshots of bad calls and <laughs> you, making you obnoxious tweets. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I text them to you or I make obnoxious tweets about how it, like, I'll say like, you know, uh, you know, Dustin Pedroia watches, uh, a, a, a high changeup for ball seven. And <laughs> what I'll show is that there were, there was a three and two count, you know, with a, uh, with a foul ball, you know, or I get ball six or whatever. Like there was a three and two count where none of the pitches was actually a strike. Right. Now it, it, but I, I don't know. I can't say that a robo ump solves the problem. I think robo ump creates a different problem. And now, by the way, they're also talking about, uh, raising the strike zone right yes. to the to above the knee, not not like the whole knee or or below the knee, right. but the above the knee, the, yes, right. the middle of the knee, whatever. And so now now you have to like also. By the way, I, I don't know the details of this, but how does pitch FX change based on the height of the player? Like and and the fact that some of the guys are wearing baggy pants where you can't actually see where their knees are. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of very even when you have what amounts to a robo ump, which is the baseball installed pitch FX camera laser system. We don't know. We're taking it for granted that that's a hundred percent accurate. But there's no who knows if it's a hundred percent accurate. And also who knows whether the ball itself uh, is is perfectly aligned in every whether the lasers are perfectly aligned in every stadium. To me, the problem is, it boils down to this. In a game like football, I, as, we, as we've talked about before, I don't know why the, the, the football itself doesn't have a chip at either end, extreme end of the ball, and then a ring of chips around the center of the ball, and why the front of the end zone 
doesn't have a sensor, a laser that, you know, what amounts to the Cyclops system from tennis or from cricket going across the front of the end zone. And the second the ball goes past that line, the entire end zone should just light up and and there should be fireworks. Baseball isn't quite the same thing. It's, It's like it's not it's not that easy. It's not a very simple, you know, like in soccer or football where the ball has to cross a single line. This is a three-dimensional zone, and I think that a robo-ump attempt, uh, the, uh, installing a robo-ump creates a different issue. I like it. Let me make two points. One point is I have a friend uh, who is a, uh, well, his brother is a, a international tennis umpire. I mean, he, he travels the world. He was just in Australia for the Australian Open. Uh, he does, he's a lines judge and he's an umpire for, for some of the lower level stuff. He's not quite old enough to, uh, to have gained enough experience to be on center court for the final, but he's getting there. He's, he's a world-class umpire. He swears to me, Hawkeye is totally not accurate. He, he says, really? that, oh yeah, well, this is, this is, this is what's interesting. He says, look, I mean, it might work. It might be not. But he goes, there's, we have seen it. We've watched it on video. We've done, you know, they've done countless studies. And it's accurate to within like two millimeters or something. Like two, you know, which is which is nothing. I mean, it's a tiny, tiny distance. And I might have that distance right. It might be one millimeter. I don't remember exactly what it was. But it's it's like a tiny distance that it cannot actually be accurate to that point. Um, but... We treat it like it is 100% infallible. Everybody does. Players do, fans do, umpires do, everybody does. So we all watch that little cartoon like reenactment of the of the ball and then if the ball lands like literally, you know, a tenth of a millimeter over the line, everybody ooze and the ball's called out, but that it might not be out. It really might not have been out, but we've come to accept it. That is, to me, the best kind of system. Not a system that is going to be infallible, because I don't think there is such a thing, but a system that we trust as infallible. Um, so I, I don't. I agree with you in that way. I don't. You're not going to make pitch FX. Uh, the technology is fantastic. It's not infallible. Is it better than an umpire's eyes? You know, that's where you start getting into an interesting question. Bill James has brought up this point, and, I'm, and and I want to hear what old man has to say about this because every time I brought it up, I think it's a really good idea. But every time I bring it up to anybody, they hate it instantly. I I Bob Costas went on like a thirty minute screed about how much he hated this idea, um, but I think it's a great idea. I really like it, and that is to marry the two things. And his idea is to have an earpiece in the umpire's ear and. It beeps if if uh, pitch FX thinks the pitch is a strike, but it's the umpire's ultimate call whether to call it a ball or strike. So he has the information; he gets it in real time. He gets the information that he needs, um, but he is there. And 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 I'm not saying it won't take training, and I'm not saying that it's distracting. And and there are probably some umpires that would just always follow whatever pitch FX says or whatever. But I think you you can find a way to marry both the human element of it, which I think is significant, um, and this obvious extraordinary technology. The thing that drives me nuts is every year we have to hear which catchers are the best at pitch framing. Every year, that's like, 
I hate that. I'm not pitch framing is it's not cheating, but it's like in the spirit of cheating. You are trying to <laughs> fool the umpire, right? That's the whole point of pitch framing is that ball was a ball, but I want it to look like a strike, right? It is it is absolutely in the spirit of fooling the umpire. Uh, and we're like, that guy's better at fooling umpires than that guy. I mean, that's 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 what it's come down to. I hate that. I hate that. I want to give umpires the tools where they don't get fooled by because somebody's really, really subtle at moving a ball into the strike zone. And and I think that this is a I think it's a good idea, but old man, what do you think? I, again, I'm finding it hard to stay in character. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind. Uh, I don't mind the fooling. I don't mind the pitch framing. I think it's cool. I think it's like. Uh, I think it's a, 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 a the the hacky boring phrase would be it's part of the game. Right. And I think it's. I think it's. I think it's okay. I'm fine with pitch framing, I, but I have another, I have a counter pitch for you in your beeping earpiece, which to me is like the, the psych, it feels like a weird, like military psychology experiment or something to see, to see if people, it's like the Milgram experiments, but for baseball to see. So I, here's my counter pitch. My counter pitch would be, uh, you have what amounts to a chair umpire. Right. In tennis, there's the there's the umpires and then there's the chair umpire who can overrule any of the umpires. So what right. if you had a sort of on field like hookup with a chair or, or like uh, someone in the in the, you know, whatever, back in a in a room somewhere under the stadium who is monitoring the pitch FX data? And if the if a pitch comes in and it's called a ball, but the pitch FX definitively shows that it's a strike then that guy can instantly beep the home plate umpire and the home plate umpire can overrule the the call is that better or worse maybe worse <laughs> maybe well just it seems like the timing issue again i mean i think so the, nothing to me is more important than an instant call that's that's the most i don't want right, and not just right. because of the not just because of the pace of game or whatever i just think we're used to that. We're used to like that's a ball or a strike. I mean, I don't even like now when umpires take like three minutes to like wind up and call a strike and you know whatever. Just, just hey, you know right away. I mean that's that's your job and 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 most umpires are really good about it. So you know I wouldn't want anything like that. One thing I thought you were gonna say was like a you were gonna have like some sort of weird because uh, somebody else brought this up and I I think it's hilarious. So I mean I'm not I'm not saying I'm I'm against it. You have like a three-person panel that, but like hit a button, like it's like it's like the voice or something, like they're like, and they all have hit a button, and if two out of three, whatever, like the majority of them say, it instantly lights up as a ball or a strike. Ah, so you have like an umpire who, who makes, you know, an umpire who's behind the plate. You have somebody under the the, the stadium or whatever, and then pitch FX maybe, and and you and, and then you do that again. I don't know if that's workable. If it's overly complicated. I guess the real question is, is umpiring, is this ball strike thing, is it a problem that you as a baseball fan have a trouble living with? It really isn't. I, and this, this, I'm back in character now as a grouchy old man. <laughs> I, 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 like, I, I believe that part of the, to a certain extent, part of the joy of baseball is that it's a little rough around the edges. Yeah. And I find the way that it's rough around the edges to be less offensive than the way that, for example, American football is rough around the edges. Because yeah. American football, there is holding on every single play. 
Yes. Right. And so when holding is called or not called seems to just be like whether the the back judge decides that it's holding or not. And there's there's uh, it, there are three defensive penalty, defensive backfield penalties. There's pass interference, holding and illegal contact. One of those three things happens in every one on one matchup Everyone. on every play. There's it is every defensive back either holds has illegal contact or commits pass interference on every play. And the, the results of those penalties are game-changing. And the results of bad calls behind the plate in baseball are also game-changing. Obviously, every call is game-changing to some level, but at a degree that is very frequently not completely disruptive, right? So the umps get, get it right most of the time. Sure. And the average amount that a game is disrupted by a bad call is far less than the average amount that a football game is disrupted by a bad call, I would say. So uh, uh, given that like human error is going to be a part of any game in which humans participate, and given that, again, I don't know that robot umpires is a better solution, is like mm-hmm. a perfect solution, I think we just all have to come to terms with the idea that this is that it is part of the game. Now, with that having been said, taking my grouchy old man uh, derby <laughs> hat off and putting on my normal uh, beaten-up Red Sox hat, I would love there to be some kind of quick and efficient appeals process for egregious calls. Like, yeah. and and I and we've argued about replay before. You're not a big fan of replay. I am a big fan of replay, but I, I wish that there were a thing where, like, you had three ball and strike appeals over the course of a game and that you had a full-time ump who was working the pitch FX data. And if it's the bottom of the eighth inning and your team is down by two and there's two outs and it's a three and two count and there's a pitch that is seems like a ball that's called strike three and your win expectancy falls to essentially zero, I w- and you think it's a ball, I think you should be able to appeal it, especially because based on how tennis and cricket work with the uh, with that system – you could do it instantly. It's not a thing where you have to go and put the headphones on and look at the thing and call New York and they have to weigh in. You could have an on-field ump who just makes overrules calls pretty quickly. And so I think that maybe that's the better solution. Ultimately, instead of the permanent robot ump, I think maybe you have a, you get three pitches over something like that over the course of the game. And there's a person who's just immediately right there, chair umpire style, who can weigh in Yay or nay? Well, and and I should say that we we do we 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 have a little bit of a disagreement on on instant replay. But my feeling about instant replay is, I I want all I want, and and to me it would be perfect. And this is true in football as well, but it's really true in baseball. All I want is for instant replay to overturn egregious calls. That's all I want, and I am a hundred percent for instant replay doing that. I am. I mean, I could not be more of a fan or supporter of instant replay in the case of overturning the George Orta play at first base in the 85 world series, uh, or the, the, the missed call that cost, uh, um, that cost the guy the perfect game. Uh, I am all for egregious calls getting overturned. I think, uh, I, I think one, it's important, but two, I don't think, I don't think the sport can survive without that because we all, see the technology now. I just don't think that the sport can can stand up 
without those things. The problem is always that is technology creep, right? The problem is then you start overturning things that are not egregious calls, so like very close calls, like, all right, well, maybe I can deal with that. Then you start inventing things that we never thought about before. Oh, wait a minute, I think his foot bounced off the bag by a millimeter and and you know, and this crazy we still haven't figured out what a catch is in the NFL. I mean, we, we still don't know. You know, and that's, now that's horrible. That's changing the fundamentals of the game. And I hate that. So that's to me where the problem is. I have no problem with figuring out a reasonable way to, and maybe it's only on, you know, look, every pitch matters, right? So if somebody throws you a ball uh, that really should have been a strike, the difference between 1-0 and 0-1, we all know, is a very, very big difference in that at bat and then probably in the game itself. So every pitch matters. That said, I would not be opposed to some way of, of you know, I don't know if it's a challenge or, or if it's, you know, I, I don't know what it is. And I don't know if it's a manager thing either. Maybe it's the hitter. Maybe, you know, I mean, I, I don't know what it would be, but I'm not opposed to that. I'm not opposed to to do that but i but i also would would ask the question and i think it's the one we just asked is this a big enough problem is this a big enough problem it was a big enough problem uh on the field i do believe that i believe it was a big enough problem if you're missing safe out calls at first at third uh home run calls you're missing those in or uh in a home run or not a home run um i don't think the game can handle that i i don't i mean you lose credibility in the game um, but our ball strikes a big enough problem. I don't know the answer to that. What do you think about, can I ask you one now? Sure. What do you think about, uh, the idea to, uh, have the intentional walk just be, you just point to first and the guy runs down to first. Okay. It, it, I'm glad you asked that question. Cause that was gonna be the next one I was going to ask you as, as okay. grumpy old man. I'm going to play grumpy old man now. Great. There is no, <laughs> And I'm not out of character. This is how I really feel. There, <laughs> there's nobody in the United States of America who hates the intentional walk more than I do. I, right. I, I, I feel I have that that standing. I think everybody understands. I want the rule changed. I want anything done to prevent people from just pitching around other teams' best players. I, I think it's fundamentally non-competitive and it drives me insane. That said hate, hate, hate the idea of, of pointing the guy to first base. Hate it. And I'll tell you why I hate it. It's not, yeah, I know. I know. It's It surprises me too. Um, I'll tell you why I hate it. It's not because of the, oh, you know, you're, you're making stuff up. It's a, you got to throw the four balls. It's not because I'm excited watching the four balls go across. And it's not even that every now and again something goofy happens on, on, on those pitches. Because it does happen I don't know, once a year, maybe once every couple of years, the guy will throw a wild pitch or, or the guy will reach over and swing or hit it or whatever. Uh, it's none of those reasons. It is not, does not change the game in any positive way, in my view. That is 30 seconds of watching, maybe, that it takes for somebody to intentionally walk somebody, 30, 40 seconds, rather than pointing them, which is like five seconds. And... I don't understand for the life of me how that how that in any way makes the game more enjoyable for younger play for younger people for anybody else. 
throw the pitches. Just throw if you're gonna if you're gonna have the intention to walk, throw the pitches. Plus, it also feels like softball if you do it that way. It's always like, oh, you know, okay, you 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 go to first. We're not even gonna pitch to you. You go to first. That's not just throw the pitches. So I'm actually I was because when they came out there, they said, oh, we were talking about intent, changing the intentional walk. I'm like, great, you can't do anything to the intentional walk that I'm going to disagree with because I hate the intentional walk. But then they said, well, we're going to have him point to first base. I'm like, no, I don't like that at all. That is weird to me. That's very weird to me. I think that, first of all, the argument that once every 17 years the guy throws a wild pitch is insane to me. Like, who cares? I agree with that. I agree with that. it's, It's crazy that that should factor in. The second thing is, given that it's already a boring play, and I agree with you that it's a boring play, why why drag it out? Why make the boringness last thirty seconds instead of zero seconds? Like I, I to me, it's like just like it, it's it's. There's no way to like you can't eliminate. Even if you said we have we're going to eliminate the intentional walk, people would just throw unintentional walks, and then it, you right, get the same right. effect. Given given the fact that you can't eliminate the concept of pitching around someone, to me, it's like just get it over with. Get to the part where something interesting might happen. Like I, 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 I'm, this is the one thing where I'm totally on board and I know that it's not even really to save time. Yeah. Cause it's not even really to save time because it happens maybe once a game, maybe twice a game, right? like a minute or 90 seconds total that you're saving, but it's just so boring. It's so soul crushingly boring. And the crowd is booing if it's the home team because they're sad that the guy doesn't get to hit. And like, it's just like. But see, there that would be some that would be to me a positive. I like that. It actually engages the crowd rather than people like, hey, how'd that guy get on first base? Oh, they just pointed him over to first base. Like that, like it's it's too, it's almost sneaky. I don't. I rather the crowd boo and and make you feel like a jerk for intentionally walking their best player because you should feel like a jerk. It's horrible. I hate it. And and I have no problem with stretching that out. I have no problem like with with the, with the crowd reaction to it. Um, I I to me my feeling is look the intentional walk. If you start pointing people to first base, you are no longer highlighting just how cowardly the intentional walk is. You're just kind of like oh you know just do it before anybody even knows and and maybe maybe everybody will just forget about it. You got to throw those four pitches. Every one of those pitches is just saying yes. I have determined that that we are going to use this loophole in the rules to prevent us from pitching to their best player. And and so I got to say I I I I didn't know that I would feel that way. But when the when they first talked about it, that was my immediate reaction. I was like well I don't want that. I, I mean, I if they had come out and said, "Hey, look, we're going to change the rules so that uh, that an intentional walk you can turn it down." That was the Bill James idea that you, as a hitter, you're allowed to turn down an intentional walk uh, or any four pitch walk. You could just turn it down, um, which I'm all for. I mean, I'm all for anything that changes the intentional walk thing. But the idea that oh, we're actually going to just legitimize the intentional walk, let you point to first base and let the guy go, no, I don't like it. It's shocking to me. <laughs> Very shocking. I, I thought that for sure that as a as a person who's been on a one man crusade to end the intentional walk, yeah, I thought for sure that you would say like, yeah, get speed past it as quickly as possible. Well, I guess I guess I guess it comes down to that. I'm not the reason I hate the intentional walk is not because it's a boring play. That I mean, it's not because it's time consuming. The reason I hate it is it's anti competitive. Uh, but I want to get back to a different point because you said something earlier that I thought was really interesting because I have one more. 
idea to throw at you. Um, and and I'm curious your your thought on this because you had said you know maybe we should just embrace that baseball's rough around the edges. Isn't that exactly what they do in like soccer, like around the world? They embrace they one guy running up and down. We've talked about this. They have one guy running up and down the field. There's no way that guy is seeing everything. No way. And right. every penalty call in the box is hugely controversial because the guy was like 50 yards away when he makes the call. And, and you know, and then people like will show replays and they'll still argue about it. Nobody ever agrees. I've never seen people agree on it ever. Um, and people love that. I mean, they embrace that. They're like, they don't want that to change. Like, it's like life. It's like messy and, 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 you know, that's why, you know, everybody I know, all my friends in England will tell me, you know, that there's nothing like a, like a nil, nil draw. That's like life. You know I mean? That's, they, they really see it as this embodiment of, of, of what it's like to, you know, to exist. And, and that's clearly how they choose to call their games. They choose to umpire and, 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 uh, and referee their games, um, in this way where, you know, they're trying their best, but they're not going to put a whole lot of effort into it. It's the players that are going to determine it. How do you feel about that? Well, I've said before that the shocking thing about refereeing in soccer isn't that they get offsides calls wrong uh, a couple times a game. It's that they ever get them right. <laughs> I, can't, like, I, I literally don't understand how they get any call right in soccer because you have to be looking in two places at the same time. And yet, very frequently, they'll show, they'll freeze it at the moment the ball is being played forward. And you're like, oh my God, that guy was 18 <laughs> inches offside. He was well offside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I think that ultimately, like, that is the point of all of this stuff, which is like every, every sport is going to have these sort of judgment calls that you just have to, that are part of the game and that you can complain about if they go against you and you can kind of, uh, try to argue weren't actually incorrect if they go in your favor. And, and so, you know, like the, like as you know, the Patriots Super Bowl loss on the Tyree play against the giants, like there were seven holding calls being right. uh, uh, missed on that play. And like, it's like, Oh, well, Oh, well, like, and, and granted I can say, Oh, well, cause the team has won every, every other <laughs> possible thing they've uh, could win except for the other Super Bowl against the Giants but like it's just the deal it's uh, calls go your way sometimes they go against you sometimes and I think that the problem to get all the way back to circle all the way back to Robo Ump I think the problem is the idea that there's a way to make sports actually mathematical or scientific or right. definitive or something and I just don't think there is and so I'd rather just say given what we have to work with, how can we make it the best version of that thing? And I don't, I don't believe, I think now in, in every major sport, there's some kind of replay, right? There's replay in basketball, there's replay in baseball, there's replay in football. Hockey, sure. Yeah, replay in hockey, there's replay in tennis, there's replay in every sport. Even golf. That mattered. Yeah, exactly. So you have, you, you could say like, okay, we've, we've gotten to the point where the video technology and the kind of analysis of the game that is that exists outside of the on-field play or on-court play has advanced to the point where we can with pretty good speed actually come up with a definitive judgment about a single play and then we've also said 
you can't do that on every play because the games would last 10 hours. So, you know, I, I think this is about as good as we can get in all of these sports. I don't think that there, uh, the improvement, there was a huge improvement, obviously, in but just to take football, baseball, basketball, hockey, the major, the, what we would consider the major sports in America, major team sports, it was a huge leap forward to get to the point where video analysis and replay could stop a tragedy from occurring. Right. It could stop Dom Denkinger's call at first would have been reversed. And as it was, it was a devastating call for for an entire city and an entire franchise that still reverberates to this day. <laughs> and so it was a huge leap from that being something that could happen to that not being something that could happen. Like that's a huge step forward. Sure. And now I think the improve any improvement that you make is going to be marginal. It's going to be like what you get out of it is going you're also going to give something up. And the thing that you're giving up is pace and sort of like good like momentum to the sport and probably fan interest at some level because it's going to slow it down so much that people are get bored. And tedious. So yeah, I, I mean and tedious. Yeah, I mean I think exactly. that's the, that's the big one yeah. to me. The big one to yeah. me is you start shrinking these games down to tiny morsels where they were never supposed to be, you know, and right. that's, I don't like that. I don't either. And so I, I kind of think that even though I constantly take screenshots of pitch FX data <laughs> and text them to you or tweet them and complain, I don't know that there is a better system. I don't think that the system, even if you could replace uh, umpires with robo umps. I don't think that's necessarily in the big picture better for the sport. What would you do on your Twitter account if they did go to robo umps? I, I'd find something else to complain about. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about me. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely, I'll find something else to complain about and to bitch about. It, most likely, whatever Gary Sanchez is doing that week <laughs> is what I'll be tweeting about. All right, last one because this is a right. very quick one. Change of the game. Make it so that relief pitchers, when they come out, have to throw maybe one warm-up pitch or two and game start again. That's it. I can't, I'm not even going to be a grumpy old man for this. Which, by the way, I didn't really commit to being grumpy old man. I no, no. It, was a, it was a hard commit, though. <laughs> uh, this is the most obvious one. I yeah. don't understand why they don't do this. This is, this is uh, of course, they've just thrown 40 warm-up pitches in the bullpen. And they've all pitched on this mound before. Like, it's not like, you know, a relief pitcher comes in. It's a very rare situation. And all mounds are the exact same height. It's not, there's no, like, there's nothing. There's no reason not to do this. You come in, you get to throw one warm-up pitch. If you want to be generous, you say two, so you can right. throw your fastball and your slider or whatever. The game has to start right away. It's just, it's baffling to me that it's like, there's always that moment where it's like, you know, a, a starter's getting in trouble, and it's like the reliever is sort of hurriedly warming up. And it's like, do, is there enough time for him to get warm in before he comes into the game? And then they come into the game, and they get eight more warm-up pitches. So it's like, well, it's fine. There's no, <laughs> there's no actual drama there. And by the way, if you really want to, you can throw any time you want in the bullpen. You can get loose. Like, well, they're just sitting there. Like, make it I, – I would be fine if they said no warm-up pitches. Just come in the game. And it's like – it's up to you to be ready to sub in. You know, like, in again, in soccer, 
when guys know they're going to might be subbed in, they start sort of like running up and down the sidelines and stretching and getting loose. Like there's no reason baseball players can't do the same thing. It's so crazy to me that they, they rush as fast as they can and they throw like 25 warm-up pitches and then they come into the game and they throw eight more warm-up pitches. It's bizarre. <laughs> By the way, isn't that what happens in the natural? The the guy comes in, the farm boy, whatever, comes in at the end of the game. He doesn't throw any warm-up pitches. He just goes out there and he's just like, oh, the farm boy's on the mound and he was ready to go. That was, let's let's go. Let's play ball. Everything should be like the natural, right? I mean, yeah. like it should be changed all the rules. I, I totally obviously agree. And, and, and um, you know me, I'm for bringing bullpen cars back, right? I just want them, just drive them out there and let's play ball. Let's go. Let's get this thing going. You know, I always like my favorite, like, football moves so slowly because of all the commercials, which we've complained about before. But one of my favorite parts of a football, if I could, like, sort of a small little thing about football, is the two-minute warning is like a 30-second commercial, right? They just like, oh, right. it's time for the two-minute warning. They go to one commercial, and then they're back. I'm like, that wasn't yeah. really even much of a warning at all. That was just like, just we're in. That's what pitching changes should be. Enough time to go away for one commercial, and then you come back, right. and the guy's not – he's not still warming up. He's ready to go. Like, he's ready to do it. I am totally for that. It saves time. It's It, it gets rid of all this boring stuff. Plus, it's, like, fundamental to the game. Nobody – no other athlete in any other sport, like, gets to warm up just when they go out there. I mean, I guess that in hockey, I guess, don't they throw a few – pucks at the at the goalie when he comes into a game i guess maybe i, I don't know um but fundamentally like a quarterback comes in like he's quickly warming up on the sideline and then he's like he's got to come in because the guy got hurt he comes in they don't go like oh yeah okay just a couple of fly patterns that's it and then you're ready to go i mean it's you gotta go it's let's play so totally for this that is, all right well I the, think- the number i mean this is a thing that's a thing that by the way you want to speed up the game? It happens in every game. No every one throws complete game. games ever. Five times. You, you, and and you five or six times. I mean, there are obviously there are games where you're talking about it happening 10, 11, 12 right. times if <laughs> right. the game goes on long enough. This is a way to shave at, at least, let's say, uh, three or four minutes out of every game. Oh, yeah. And at most, a half an hour. I mean, you could live in a, in a long, slow, tight game that maybe 10-inning game, 11-inning game, you're going to save 35 minutes by just saying, like, no, when you come in the game, the game starts, end of story. Yeah. I I just say we, we start that tomorrow. Like, I, I don't understand why we can't start that. All right, well, we've totally fixed the game. So, you know, it's time for um, one last meaningless thing. Whoa. And by the way, right, I you would, go you go you go first this time, right? I think I, I think I went first last time. By the way, but before we do that, I have to thank uh, podcast music director Matt Bagdano, 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 uh, for the uh, one last theme, uh, one last meaningless theme song. Um, Matt is like an actual music producer out in L.A. And he sends us this music that we put on here. I have no idea why. I don't know why he does that. <laughs> it's, it's super nice of him. Thank you. But we're, we're not worth that. You're like a professional. Don't don't waste your time with us. All right, I'll go first. Um, my one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing is um, I don't think we appreciate how awesome the United States Post Office, Postal Service is. Like, we always rip it. We rip it all the time. 
Uh, we rip what the experience in postal in post offices. We rip like oh, it takes forever. We're we're paying pennies on the dollar to like have them hand deliver something to some like like in the old days they used to pay like servants like a lot of money to like oh take this to Count Rugen or whatever and then they would they do that for us for nothing for like pennies and if you bought like one of those forever stamps it'll never even go up the price will never go up you will always be able to give them a letter and they will deliver it anywhere in the country or the world for a few more pennies and just go to their house and give it to them i i i really want to say i fully appreciate the u.s postal service count rugen <laughs> I couldn't think of anything else. I don't what are know. You, what are you talking about? <laughs> Do you not like the U.S. Postal Service? No, I, I have no problem with the U.S. Postal Service. But you're <laughs> the example of someone you're mailing something to is a is like a a German a member of the German <laughs> royal court or something. What are you yes, talking? Don't, no, because they would they would they would write the the little note and then they would put that rubber that like that little stamp on it you know the where wax they would, like, seal, the wax yeah. stamp seal then they would give it to then and their servant as I've seen in many movies would have like a silver dish and they would put the the thing on the silver dish and then they would hand deliver that to somebody and that's what the postal service does for us without the silver dish. All right. <laughs> Look, the title of this segment is one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. So I guess I shouldn't be taking issue with whatever you say. Um, okay. I I'll, I have four small potted plants in my office. Okay. And they kept, and they kept dying. And uh, I felt bad about it because uh, I would, like, forget to water them for, like, a you know, three weeks and they would die. And then I would get new ones and they kept dying. And I felt bad. And uh, someone was like, you should just get fake plants. And I was like, no, that's ridiculous. Fake plants are that's stupid. Like it's they're 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 living things. The whole point is to have something living, you know, like green in your office that makes you feel good. But they kept dying, and I kept feeling bad about it. So I got four little fake ones. They're great. I'm so into them. They look exactly the same as real plants. They need no water. They look, for all intents and purposes, like they're alive, and they never die. And I never have to feel guilty about it anymore. And now I'm wondering whether I shouldn't replace. Basically, all things in my life with <laughs> fake versions of those things. <laughs> like, not only plants, but like, you know, I could get some fake kids. I could get some fake mannequins. Yeah. They would ne- I would never have to worry about their safety. You know, I could I could just... I, I'm now really into fake reproductions of things. And by the way, I got fake grass in my backyard after thinking, like, that's a terrible idea. But water, we have a drought in California. And so I was like, you know what? This is like a responsible thing to do. I got fake grass in my backyard. It's amazing. It requires zero care. I turned off my outdoor watering system. I, like my water bill has gone down like 50%. And I throw grounders to my son like every day. And it's, it's perfect for that. And nothing ever gets muddy. I'm now super into fake green things. <laughs> so your one last meaningless thing, as I understand this, is to stop dealing with living things. I'm and saying replace them comes, with fake things. When it comes to flora, maybe not fauna, <laughs> but when fauna. it comes to when it comes to flora, I'm saying the fake versions have there's been great advancements in fake <laughs> flora. And I now I'm totally on board. Wow. 
Wow, I didn't. I didn't see that in you. I did not see you being a. I didn't either. I'm, I'm, I'm not like I'm a real Christmas tree guy. Every year, I don't want a fake Christmas tree. Like, well, that, you got to give been, that up now. Yeah, maybe I do. I mean, it's certainly <laughs> like it's certainly better for like the environment. You would say, right? Like, less of a fire hazard. I don't know. I might. There might. They. I think I'm onto something with this. I think flake, fake flora is like uh, the way to go. <sighs> All right, I thought mine was bad. All right, so um, <laughs> <laughs> to say these things are good or bad is sort of no, missing that's the true. point. Though, really. It is missing the whole point. It is one last meaningless thing. All right, Michael. Well, as always, thank you. Thank you for having me.